Hello everyone, Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14-yard NFL podcast. Yes, welcome in everybody. Merry Christmas one and all. It's good to be back after a week's hiatus. And I've got to say, fellas, in the name of uh, Giovanni Bernard, that was all on me. That was a communication issue. It was me that messed up. That's why there was no podcast last week. These boys were out on uh, pre-arranged evenings and I forgot to make other arrangements. So I do apologise to everybody that we weren't here last week. But we are back for the week 15 review. And what a good week to come back, fellas. Plenty to get their teeth into. Josh, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good, mate. That made it sound like you forgot to make arrangements for Christmas dues then, like you'd uh, you'd not gone to your own Christmas do there. But uh, I hope you filled your boots in any way, mate. But yeah, like you say, what a what an insane week of football. Um, there's way too much to sink our teeth into. I promise the missus I'll be done in an hour. I'm unsure if that's going to be uh, going to be possible at this rate. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a lot to cram in, that is for sure. Steve, how are you doing, pal? What a week. What a week of NFL of action. We I feel like sometimes we say this every week, but I'm gonna throw some stats at you to get us all kick started because there were some incredible stats this week. Um before Sunday night football, so before last night's game, thirteen of the fourteen games were within one score in the fourth quarter. Uh, it's the Oof. first week in NFL history with three seventeen point comebacks. Um, seven seven of the games were decided in the final two minutes of regulation or in overtime, and five games were decided by a game-winning score on the final play. It's just it was just <laughs> such a week. Everything was all over the place, and uh, I am here for it. Yeah, it certainly was. If it was a weekend to try and get somebody that was sitting on the fence about whether they liked the NFL or not, and trying to get somebody into the game, this was a good weekend to pick, wasn't it? Um, we won't spend any time at all, fellas, going back to the uh, Thursday night football game that started this week off. Uh, the 49ers, however, have clinched the NFC West with a relatively routine victory over the Seattle Seahawks. Final score looks more interesting than the game actually was. The 49ers pretty much dominated. We're actually up 21 points to three. A lot of worry beforehand that Brock Purdy, the new quarterback saviour, wouldn't go, but he did go and looked again pretty efficient, it's got to be said. Um, 17 to 26 for 217 yards, another couple of touchdowns. And yeah, the 49ers continues to be the hottest team in football. That's a seven-game winning streak now. Um, wheels falling off a little bit for the Seahawks. Steve, you look like you desperately want to start something on this one, so I'm going to bring you in. Just quickly on the 49ers, I think that we can't stop without talking about Birdie because he's come in, he's played pretty well his first couple of games. And a lot of people thought when Jimmy G went down, that was like the wheels were coming off. San Francisco had no chance, sort of similar to the Eagles and, and Carson Wentz when Nick Foles came in. But Brock Birdie, Mr. Irrelevant, let's not forget, was the last pick in the draft 
has just slotted into this Carl Shanahan system and is playing except like considering every all things considered, he's playing really well. So my question to you guys is, do you think they can still do it with him under centre? Do you think that the 49ers can go to, let's say, the NFC Championship game? Is their roster good enough to supplement his play? Which is which is which is harsh on him because he's playing really well. I'm nodding along in agreement. Josh is going to take a little bit longer to think about it, I think. But for me, I'm nodding along because I've I've said consistently, I thought that Jimmy G coming back into the lineup improved San Francisco's chances this year. I thought the Trey Lance selection when it went down was a gamble that they didn't need to make. And I think if they could wind the clock back, they wouldn't make it and everything that they gave up to do it. Um, I think this offence just needs the kind of quarterback that Brock Purdy is, somebody that's efficient, doesn't turn the ball over, isn't necessarily the reason that they win games, but certainly isn't the reason that they lose games. You know, they don't need that gunslinger mentality. Um, and for me, he's absolutely perfect for what the Niners need. More importantly, he doesn't play defence, and it's the <laughs> defence that he's the reason that San Francisco are a massive, massive threat to anybody that they come up against moving forward. They haven't given up more than 17 points since the middle of October. They are no. absolutely firing on all cylinders. Um, you know, they blanked the Saints a few weeks back. They held the Bucks to just seven points the week prior. Um, the Dolphins and that high-powered offense were restricted to 17 and Geno Smith's been playing good football all year, and the Seattle offense was restricted to 13 in this one. Um, you look at what they've got coming up. They've got the Commanders, they've got the Cardinals, and the Raiders left on the schedule. You would fancy that that's probably, in all likelihood, another three wins. And the way things are trending, it could well be that they end up as the second seed, um, which would mean that you know the team that will probably give them the most trouble, and rightly so, based on records, is the Eagles. Which you know, obviously, they deserve that that sort of um, accreditation. But you know, that would be a hell of an NFC Championship game if we got that, um, because it's a real strength on strength matchup as well. So yeah, I, I would be absolutely all in on the San Francisco train and, and Brock Purdy as the driver. Absolutely fine by me, Josh. What you say, bud? Yeah, the um, I was thinking this uh, yesterday. Actually, doesn't this smack of Nick Foles and the Eagles during their Super Bowl winning season just a little bit? You know, it seems almost a carbon copy in the sense of, you know, they've got this fantastic run. They've built the pieces. They're really going for it now. And then all of a sudden, the wheels come off. The quarterback goes. You plug in the unknown, and the unknowns just doing it week after week offensive i mean defensive coordinators can't get any film on the guy which means they're just going in unprepared and it's all about the system and it's all about the defense and the other guys and it, it ends up being that the quarterback's a bit of a non-entity to the point where if they get get to the show let's say the nfc i wouldn't want to go up against him because all of a sudden then you know, do do they then scheme everything around the kid just to completely bamboozle you at that point and then pull your pants down just like we saw Nick Foles do um in the Super Bowl against the Patriots? Yeah. I'm sorry to put that on you, Steve. <laughs> no, no, I, I agree. I think I think they're set up that the, the pieces around him are just so good. When you can throw to George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, you know, that's three pretty good um, you know, pass catches, and then you've got McCaffrey. You know, running 
running with the rock. It's a it's a pretty good um, offense to have. But I think John, you, you've nailed it. I think the, the defense is why they're doing so well. That defense is so good. It's the best defense in the league, I think, by a country mile. And and certainly one to watch for next year in the head coaching carousel is D'Amico Ryan's. He'll definitely get a head coaching job somewhere because um, that defense is phenomenal this year. Absolutely. <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the like I said, the Niners on the hottest win streak in the league. Saturday, fellas, we were served up a three-course meal. And let's be honest, the main course was was pretty awful if we're going chronologically, because that was Baltimore and Cleveland, 13-3 to in the middle of the three hey, games. I enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it thoroughly, as with, as with every Christmas dinner. Slightly overrated, but thoroughly satisfying nonetheless. Uh, certainly from a Browns perspective, um, 13-3. Probably most noteworthy for the fact that Justin Tucker missed two field goals in a game for surely the first time in his career. I think that's ever happened. I was actually lamenting the fact that he never missed after nailing his first one on the day, and then he failed to hit anymore. Um, so he was obviously listening to my rants. Um, but Sean Watson starting to look a little bit better week to week, and ultimately, like I say, the Browns pretty much controlled this one. Another good defensive performance. And the defense much improved in recent weeks, but the Browns are going to fall short this year. It's all about 23. The Ravens, however, they really need to find something because they're pretty safe and secure in the playoffs, but they have every sort of sense of a one-and-done type team as things stand. Um, I don't even know if Lamar Jackson is going to be the saviour for this team at the moment. They just have nothing at the wide receiver position at all. Um, and the offensive game plan, I've got to be honest, was just staggering. They averaged nearly 10 yards a carry and still threw the ball 30 times with Tyler Huntley in a game that was decided by 10 points, and it was only a 10-point lead at the end of the third quarter. So a real, real bonkers one for the Ravens. Well, let's not digest too much on that, because let's move on to the other two games that bookended Saturday. Um and fellas, I mean, honest to God, of all days for the Strictly Come Dancing final to be on, and my TV be on BBC One when this was going on, thankfully it went to overtime, so I got to sort a bit of it, obviously, at the end. But Indianapolis 36, Minnesota 39, if you've been on a different planet for the last few days and you didn't realise, it was 33 nothing at half-time to the Indianapolis Colts. I was obviously getting score updates through Twitter and all the rest of it and the WhatsApp groups and just could not believe what I was reading. And then you start to sort of see some points going on the board for the Vikings and you sort of see it get to 7, 14, it's to 21 and you start to get a little bit twitchy and you start thinking, is this possible? Is this possible? And when they tied it up, I mean, unbelievable scenes. Um, obviously, the largest comeback in NFL history. Steve, I can't wait to hear the amount of stats you've got on this game because you're bound to have a ton of them. I best come to Josh first, just in case you haven't. But Josh, just an absolutely unbelievable comeback. Probably papers over a few cracks, if we're being completely honest. But just in terms of it as a spectacle, what a Saturday afternoon extravaganza this was. Yeah, you like that. I think is the, uh, the 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 way to preface the start of my uh, of my little tidbit on this one. Kirk Cousins coming through in the clutch and then some. Um, but yeah, papers over a lot of the cracks. There's no way that the Colts should have been allowed to go thirty three nil up. I actually forgot that the game started as early as they did, and um, you know I turned to the misses and I said, "Bloody, I'll look at this score. It's pointless me even putting it on." 
I end up about 15 minutes or so later putting on thinking, ah, the Vikings have got a small chance there. And then we're just glued to the set. Now, um, Lou, for, for no matter how good she is at picking games, she's not very good at sticking around actually watching a game fully unless she's in a stadium. She did not leave that seat until at the end of overtime. It just transfixed to this Cinderella story almost of the Vikings coming from you actually couldn't write it. It was that good. You couldn't write it. It was a Christmas. It was basically a Christmas film where, you know, you don't expect it at all. I'm I'm getting all sorts of messages saying, you know, the Vikings are frauds, told you all the rest of it. The Vikings just like, hold my beer. Here we go. It was just, it was excellent to watch. Um, they had a, it had a smack of the French in the world cup about it, but they actually were able to get it done rather than the French. <laughs> nice dig, nice dig of their French listeners there. However many of you there are. <laughs> Steve, hit me with some stats, mate, because I'm sure you have got some. I mean, this was just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the, as as, as most people are aware, it's the biggest uh, regular season comeback in NFL history. Um, the last one, the last team to overcome a, a deficit of 24 plus points, as Josh rightly mentioned, was Washington in week seven of the 2015 season versus the Bucks, which was the famous you like that game where Kirk Cousins actually said that at the end of the game. So he's been responsible for both of these. And it was just, I think with this game, it was just the, the, how literally it flipped at halftime. Like if you look at the scores, First quarter, Indianapolis scored 17 points and then 16 in the second quarter, Minnesota got zero. But then the second, in the third quarter, Minnesota, Minnesota scored 14 and then 22 and Indianapolis scored three. Like it is literally one side and then the other. I don't think I've ever seen an NFL game like it where you get one team score all their points in the first half and then the other team score all their points in the second half. Like it was so, like all they've got to do at one point is, score, is someone score a field goal. You think that would be achievable? You've got to go what 30, 40 yards down the field to get to, to decent field goal range. Like, you know, you think it shouldn't be too difficult, and and they just neither team could do it in their own respective halves, and and the defense is just melted. And I don't know how they like how did Minnesota then come alive in the second half, and also how did Indianapolis just fall away in the second half? Like, it, it, how did it flip so much? I think. I think this should hopefully put an end to the Jeff Saturday experience. I think I think the experiment is over. I think you can safely say this was never meant to be a long-term thing. I don't know why he was hired in the first place, but this should hopefully put put um, put the nails in that coffin, so to speak. Um, but how can you let a team be up thirty-three points to zip and still lose a game? Like that is ridiculous that that even happened. Um, and I think it says. <clears throat> I don't know what it says about the Vikings. This is the thing. Every week, the Vikings continue to get the Ws, but they never look convincing. Like, you know, they, they, they've scored 39 points, but they've also conceded 36. Like, it's uh, how they... Uh, I'm so speechless as to how they've done this, and I still can't decide if Minnesota are a good team. I just... I cannot decide whether or not they are or not. I think that when it comes to the playoffs, and the Minnesota will probably be the, the, the two or the three seed, I'd imagine. They're going to be up there. You know, they're going to host someone like a Giants or a Commanders or, or dare I say, the Lions. We'll come on to that soon. Um, and you wonder, are they going to be a one and done? Are they going to be one of these home field games where it's just a one and done? Because I just can't decide if they're a good team. Or are they, is, is Kirk Cousins going to finally get over his phobia of the lights and actually and actually put something together and, and then go to the NFC Championship game? I don't know. Um, 
But uh, yeah, it, it sort of poses more questions than it answers this game. But yeah, what a great one to watch. Yeah, phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. 19 possessions the Vikings had on Saturday. Just absolutely crazy. Like I say, different stats everywhere you look at it. Um, I've got to say, it was a very questionable spot on the fourth down from Matt Ryan as well, to be fair, which could have obviously stopped all this drama from happening. There were quite a few dodgy calls officiated wise this week, which seems to be creeping up in terms of how often that is being talked about as well. And we'll get on to some more of those as we go through it. But like I say, just in terms of the game itself, huge advert for the league. Brilliant that it obviously happened on a day when uh, you know the, it was wall-to-wall coverage. Um, and certainly, like I say, um, a great, great watch. So let's see if the Vikings can actually just get a routine victory for the change. It would be nice, like you say, coming into the playoffs, wouldn't it? Um, talking of routine victories, we didn't get one of those either in Buffalo, did we? Um, snow game, the Bills 32, the Dolphins 29. Um, comeback from the Bills in this one. Um, a fourth quarter comeback at that. David, eight points. Um, but they ultimately get a Dawson Knox five-yarder and convert the two-pointer and then a Tyler Bass field goal as time expires uh, to take this one by that three-point margin. Josh Allen, four touchdowns through the air. Um, very much looked like a Buffalo sort of performance offensively to what we've come to expe- expect over the last couple of years. You know, Lots of it being dictated through Josh Allen's play. Not an awful lot coming in the running game. In terms of for the Dolphins... You know, Jalen Waddle went over 100 again. Tyreek Hill, nine further receptions. You know, but ultimately, the Dolphins are really stumbling to the finish line. The Bills now open up a you know commanding three-game lead in the division. I know it's not officially clinched, but it's as good as clinched, isn't it? Or it might even be officially clinched now. I'm not 100% sure, but look, it's going to be clinched, isn't it? What was looking a little bit dodgy a few weeks ago, it's going to be the Bills' division. They've certainly clinched the playoffs now. Um, so, Josh, in terms of these two teams, like I said, we're going to see them both plenty in the coming weeks, but certainly the Bills seem to be trending back in the right direction and a few question marks opening up about Miami, who, like I say, after a, a very decent start, have now lost three on the bounce. Yeah, it's this one was a really weird game, actually, where no, t- no team seemed to be dominant, but it was all about momentum. Uh, Miami, you know, between the second and the third quarter really had something about them. They seem to have been able to make a couple of, you know, they got a couple of good, good, uh, good drives in. They were able to, they were able to keep um, Josh Allen at bay. So much so that Josh Allen was probably more effective with his feet than he was in the air. He got 77 yards off 10 carries. You know that from a that from a quarterback is insane. That's especially when you consider that Josh Allen isn't one who you technically class as a mobile QB. Um, the, the Dolphins, it, it's so weird. It seems to be all about Jalen Waddle all of a sudden. Um, you know, I'm seeing here three receptions, 114 yards, and then apart from that, if you take those away from Tua, that's about 100 yards he's throwing otherwise. Um, you know, 14 completions. It's, you know, it's Jalen Waddle and Raheem Mostert. All of a sudden, it's almost that they're dependent on this this run game and big play mentality rather than what got them to this point of which was, you know, being able to get past the, get, get past the line again effectively with good, smart passing plays. All that seems to have 
you know, been relegated now. I don't know if it's because actually I couldn't tell you what it was because really, because it's not like they're exactly um, down in terms of injuries or anything like that. It's just as to whether or not it's because they were playing Buffalo um, on this occasion, but something seems wrong in Miami at the moment. It's definitely taken a back turn. Yeah, it certainly does. Like you say, three on the back. I mean, look, don't run three games against, you know, good opposition. You know, they've lost to the Niners, who we've already talked about. Obviously, the Bills are going to be a strong contender to win it all come playoff time. And, uh, you know, the Chargers, you know, was away from home. The Chargers have found some good form recently. So, not sort of, like I say, Steve, sort of losses against teams you'd be expecting them to, to sort of deal with handily. But nonetheless, Obviously, as we get to January football now, to be the best, you've got to beat the best. And this Dolphins team are just coming up short in these games when it matters. I wonder if it's perhaps a season too early for the Dolphins. Like, they, you know, um, Mike McDaniel's proved that he's an excellent offensive schemer and, and that some of these, you know, the Dolphins' offensive uh, sort of schemes throughout the first, the, throughout this season, every game of the season have been superb. And the way that they use that that dual threat of, of Waddle and, and Tyreek Hill has been exceptional. You know, that when you've got two guys that are that quick, um, you, if you can't mark one, you've got to mark the other, you know, you've, you know that leaves you the one open. It's, you know, it's, it's so difficult to defend against. But they proved that they could run the ball. I think that was the, one of the, the big things on, on Saturday um, was they can actually run the ball and that was, that was impressive to see. Um, but also... You know, away from that, I think the, the other thing as well is that the Dolphins are obviously, you know, they play in Miami. It's a hot place. They don't usually play in sort of the tough weather down there. And they prove this time that they can come in and play in the snow and go toe to toe with the big boys. They only lost by three points. It wasn't a blowout by any stretch. Mm. Um, and I think that's worth that's worth noting because when it comes to January, some of these playoff trips, you know, back in the day, and certainly not this season, but certainly over the last decade, everyone everyone would detest having the idea of having more Lambo to play the, the Aaron Rodgers led Packers in Lambo where it's going to be snowing and like minus three degrees or whatever. You know, it's the same same principle in Buffalo. Buffalo it's always snowing. It feels like it's never not snowing in Buffalo. And um you know, teams are going to have to go there and play in that weather. And, you know, Buffalo love it so much that they're even building a new stadium without a roof because they want to keep yeah. that advantage. Um, but my favourite thing of this entire game was the fact that the stadium announcer had to put out an announcement saying, if the fans don't stop throwing snowballs, Buffalo are going to be penalised with a 15-yard penalty. Imagine getting a penalty because of your fans and snowballs. That is the best part of this entire game. Oh. <laughs> I'd love to have seen what signal the referee would give for snowballing. Yeah. Oh, personal foul, snowball. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, three, uh, like I say, three games on Saturday. Always great to have Saturday football. You know, it's getting to the business end of the season. And obviously for UK fans, certainly two of the games in pretty good viewing windows for us. Uh, and like I say, they certainly on the whole delivered this year round, didn't they? Uh, so more of the same next year, please. We're going to whiz through a couple of the Sunday games that ultimately didn't mean a lot because there's plenty to talk about in a number of the games. So let's whiz through some of these that probably aren't all that important. Uh, Arizona 15, Denver 24. Um, the Broncos finally gain a win. Was that to do with the fact that Russell Wilson wasn't playing, fellas? We'll debate that, possibly. Uh, 21 of 26 for Brett Ripien. Um, and Latavius Murray looking like an NFL running back again. 24 carries for 130 yards. Uh, poor day at the office yet again for Arizona, whether it be Colt McCoy who lost uh, to concussion during this one or Trace McSorley who came in uh, in, in relief. 
Um, so, yeah, just not a good day all around. The quicker that that season can finish for the Cardinals and they can move on from Cliff Kingsbury, the better. I would suggest that both of these coaches probably won't be back next year, but we will wait and see how that all shakes out. Um, did you see that they're just quickly, sorry, just quickly, Sean, did you see that their um, GM has taken time out, time out to use a medical leave? I think he's indefinitely time out of the game due to medical leave. Makes you wonder, um, yeah, Steve Keem, yeah, he's um, he's taken time out just unconfirmed medical leave, so he's not currently acting GM. Makes you wonder how much someone might have to pay to get DeAndre Hopkins out of Arizona because mm-hmm. I think there's a, there's teams that could use him and uh, and I, I don't think he's going to want to hang around there much longer. But yeah, I think this is the end for Cliff. I think yeah, definitely. yeah, most definitely. It all looks so positive, didn't it? And obviously the news coming out of Carter Murray a complete ACL tear. Um, various different reports, some suggesting he might make the start of the new season, others suggesting it will obviously be some point during the new season. More importantly, in terms of the long term, does that fundamentally change the way Kyler Murray plays? Because so much of what he does is those off scripts, those scramble drills, and ultimately, you know, is he going to want to be changing direction on a knee that's been surgically repaired with great regularity? Probably not. So it could be a real, real disastrous season for the Arizona Cardinals. But obviously, wish. Kyler Murray well in his recovery. Um, let's whisk through a few more. Pittsburgh 24, Carolina 16. Mike Tomlin's just refusing to have this losing season, isn't he? 6-8, he's still got three games. He can still salvage it. Um, Carolina um, still mathematically very much involved in the, uh, in the playoff race, and we'll get into the reasons as to why shortly, which is bonkers for a team that are 6-8. Um, and still controlling their own destiny as well to get to the playoffs, which is even more bonkers. But there you go. They're five um, and nine, aren't they? The Panthers. Yes. Sorry, five and nine. Yeah, there's a Steelers. Yeah, five and nine. The books are six and eight. Yeah. 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 Steelers moved to six and eight. The Steelers have got the Raiders, the Ravens, and the Browns. Can Mike Tomlin pull three wins out? <laughs> we shall wait. And... <laughs> Um, the re- there's two reasons why the Panthers still own their own destiny. It's because partly the New Orleans Saints beat the Atlanta Falcons 21 points to 18, which moves both of those teams to five and nine records. Um, the Saints jumped out to a big lead in this one. Atlanta did what Atlanta always do, threatened to make the comeback, but ultimately fell short in the end. Um, so the Saints and Falcons at five and nine. And then, as you say, Tampa, we might as well round off that division had a wonderful first half, an absolutely amazing first half, probably the best first half the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have put together all season long. And then, oh my word, what on earth happened in the second half? Because talk about chalk and cheese, what an unbelievable yeah, ridiculous this was. It was unbelievable. The Buccaneers in the first half went 17-0 up, then gave up a field goal with a minute and a half left in the half to make it 17-3 at the half. But they then, in the fourth quarter, in the, in the second half, fellas, a turnover on downs, which involved a botched fake punt, which I opened the podcast up and joked about Giovanni Bernard seemingly being the most surprised man in the entire stadium. <laughs> It seemed an unnecessary call, considering where they were on the field. Anyway, whether that was a pre, you know, whether it was or it wasn't called, and whatever the communication issues was, it it seemed a very unnecessary call. Um, and ultimately, like I say, the botch just put the nail in the coffin. The next four series: Tom Brady intercepted. Tom Brady fumble. Tom Brady fumble. Tom Brady interception. And then they go three and out in the preceding drive thereafter. 
what on earth happened in this second half, Steve? Because this is just so un-Brady-like. And like I say, after such a good first half where they looked actually like a decent NFL team and a team that actually, you know, well, this is what we expect from the books. It just completely unraveled in the second half. I think I feel like this actually tells you more about the Bengals than it does the books. I think the Bengals were were, were exceptional in the second half. The defense sort of woke up a bit, and this is just parallels with this with the um, with the Colts and the Vikings game because it was like two completely different halves for each each team. And I think the the books did implode. Obviously, they had plenty of time, chances to get it over the line, and you know the amount of turnover downs and punts they had to give up was was baffling in the second half. But, you know, you watch the first half and Brady was connecting really well with the likes of Chris Godwin. There was a couple of slant passes he had to Godwin, which were, which were sort of signature, that were lovely. You know, 83 yards to both Godwin and Mike Evans, uh, 59 to Russell Gage, 30 to Jalen Leonard Fournette. It's not like he wasn't getting yardage and, and he wasn't connecting with his receivers. Like, he was actually throwing the ball quite well. And in the second half, it just all stopped. And I just don't know what happened. Um... I think we is it time now that we normalise ourselves with the idea that Tom Brady is just, you know, not quite. And, and obviously he had a really high ceiling, so I'm not suggesting that he's the worst quarterback in the league, but he's just not quite as good as he once was anymore. And we have to normalise yeah. ourselves with that. You know, there's been there's been talk over the last few weeks with New Orleans and potentially Sean Payton coming back, and I've heard a few people mention that is he going to bring Tom Brady with him? And I'm like, is that really the answer? Like, you know. 46 or 47 year old Tom Brady coming in with Sean Payton for a roster that's already got cap issues until 2051. You know, like, is that, is that really what the answer? And I, is this now evidence of where Brady's career is at? I mean, obviously, you know, take nothing away from the guy. He's played until he's 46, which is incredible. We'll never see that again in the quarterback. But, you know, is the curtain finally starting to come down? And will he regret it? Like, you know, with everything he went through off the field this season to come back, is ultimately he going to be like, was it all worth it? Absolutely not. Um, and I think it's just normal of, of where Brady is now. And, you know, the, the young quarterbacks, you know, you flip it over, the young quarterbacks, the one taken over, Joe Burrow lit up the field. He had four touchdown passes. Uh, he actually only threw for 200 yards. It wasn't really much of a, they didn't have um, so much need didn't to have pass to. yards. Because yeah. they were given such a good, position every time they got the ball um but yeah really good performance from cincinnati i think that cincinnati can certainly make a claim to be one of the most complete teams in the nfl right now um they're playing after their sort of early season blip they, they're playing really good football at the moment and they're poised to make it make a run at it and, and and get this thing moving in the fc obviously they've got to come up against one of the juggernauts of, of kansas city and buffalo but they've they've got kansas city's number right now it seems so i don't think i should worry about them um, and i'd be really intrigued to see a, a, a buffalo uh, Cincinnati uh, AFC Championship game. I think that'd be really, really intriguing because um, I think the both teams are coming up right good and, and, and coming up well at the time, and it really matters. Um, so that'd be interesting to see how they would face off in in, in January. Yeah, and just to, like I said, just to put a bow on that um, NFC South division to complete the conversation. Like I say, the Bucks now lead that division at six and eight. All three teams in behind are now at five and nine. They've all got to play games against each other. So you could make an argument that they all, to some extent, control their own destiny. But certainly the Carolina Panthers, with two divisional games left, if they win out, the Carolina Panthers will win that division at eight and nine, which would just be absolutely bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. And to consider they fired their head coach, the first team to fire their head coach, and rightfully so this year. I'm not saying that that was the wrong call. But to fire the head coach and potentially win the division in the same year, 
that'll be a stat for Steve to look up next week if that if that's going to threaten to happen. Surely that's never happened, but we'll wait and see. Certainly, plenty uh, plenty to to sort out between now and then. Let's uh, let's go back to the scoreboard. We're through a few more. Um, let's go Philadelphia twenty five, Chicago twenty, tighter than most people expected. Um, but the Eagles find a way to get the job done. Jalen Hurts um, breaks a thousand yard. Sorry, not Jalen Hurts. Justin Fields, apologies, breaks the thousand yard barrier for the season. He has certainly added that as a real weapon, that dual threat. Um, another decent game for him. Um, probably not the greatest of day for Jalen Hurts in terms of his throwing performance. Steve obviously picked off twice, no touchdowns on the day. Um, obviously, three rushing touchdowns, probably combined all together, probably was what about three inches for the three touchdowns. Not that, not that it matters. Um, it's the most unstoppable play in the league, as the commentators kept reminding us that quarterback sneak that has uh, become such a potent weapon. Ultimately, job done, mate. And I suppose that's the main thing because we'll talk about the Cowboys next in the game where they couldn't quite get it done. So the win is the only important thing. Um, like I say, certainly from a, uh, a passing perspective, outside of another monster day for AJ Brown, um, probably a few things to be not, not overly concerned about, but things for the Eagles to clean up heading into the postseason. Yeah, I mean that was a uh, that was a, a personal record day for AJ Brown. He's never had that many receiving yards in a game before. Which, when you think Jalen Hurts didn't look that great throwing the ball, when you think when you consider that stat, you're like, oh, actually, you know, maybe maybe he did. Maybe he was all right, and he just had a couple of blips. But yeah, no, it wasn't Jalen Hurts' best game. I think it was important to show that this team can win ugly. Not every game's going to be a forty point blowout. Like you're going to have to win ugly. A couple of the, I think a couple of the players were quoted as saying that they've never played in weather that cold before. Apparently, it was bitterly cold in Chicago um, yesterday. And uh, the wind, I think the wind really affected the game. I think there was a, uh, Chicago missed an extra point. The Eagles missed a field goal. Um, I think the wind played a big effort. The, Chicago, the Bears punted from the Eagles 41 at one point. That's how much... No, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because they were all saying like that's ridiculous. But it, when the wind's coming against you, that the, you know the forty-one might as well be the sixty-one when it's when the wind's that uh, intense. But yeah, tough win, got it done in the end. Um, Jalen Hurts has now got thirteen rushing touchdowns on the season. Um, he is one away from equaling Cam Newton's record of fourteen, which is the highest for any quarterback in the league. I think he will do that. He's got three games to get two more and set the record. Um, that Eagles offense is is such a, a killer offense when you've got that much threat dual threat from the quarterback and the player that he scored the first rushing touchdown on with where the uh the linebacker gets caught in the in the blitz and then he just has an open wide open field just to literally walk in like 20 yards into the end zone it was phenomenal but yeah um good day for hurts um i think i will give chicago some credit i think they've got a bright future with fields i think he should he's, he's improved an awful lot I think he needs some better. That 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 roster is not good enough. You look at their their uh, top four pass catchers from from Sunday. You have Byron Pringle, David Montgomery, who's a running back, Cole Komet, and Equinemius St. Brown. That is not a list of of sort of top receivers in it. So put some better weapons around him. Improve the offensive line. I think the Chicago Bears will get better. I think he showed enough to, to prove. And obviously he's so agile and he's so evasive. Was the one sack that Sam Reddick almost had him and then he didn't and then he went 45 yards and almost got a touchdown if he hadn't stepped out of bound um and one last stat i'll give you before i let you move on is uh, the eagles are almost or could become the first team in nfl history to have four separate pass rushes have 10 sacks on a season um one player's got, uh, sam reddick's got 12 javon hargrave's got 10 um joshua's got nine and a half so he needs half a sack and then brandon graham's got eight and a half 
So in the next three games, if they can find a half and a one and a half sack, they will have four players with 10 sacks or more, which is the first time that had ever happened in NFL history, which is mighty impressive when you, you know, when you're sharing the load around like that. Indeed, they always say you can never have enough good pass rushes, and that's his uh, proof right there. I mentioned the Cowboys, like I said, they were involved in a tight one, but they couldn't find a way to win ugly um, as the Jags come back from a 17-point hole to win this one in overtime with a quite brilliant Rashawn Jenkins interception off a tipped pass um, that Dak Prescott was trying to force in after he was under pressure on a third down play. Uh, Jenkins picked it up off his toes and returned it 52 yards for the interception. Um, great game, this one, Josh. But don't want to talk about the game too much. What I want to talk about, not so, not so much Dallas. Dallas are in the playoffs. Dallas aren't obviously now going to catch the Eagles. I think we know that Dallas are going to end up as the five seed. Um, so they're going to have to go on the road to open up their, their playoff adventure, so to speak. But I guess they wouldn't be too concerned about a trip to the NFC South as things stand. So they'll probably be quite happy with that. <laughs> and then we'll see how good the Cowboys are from there. I want to talk about the Jags, mate. I want to talk about the Jags who now control their own destiny and a path to winning the AFC South. They've already beaten the Titans once. They're one game back from the Titans and they end their season with a game against the Tennessee Titans. Are the Jacksonville Jags going to win this division, which you poo-pooed a few weeks back? And I'm telling you, mate, this is looking very, very likely. I would like to point out that I saw a tweet earlier that said the NFL is registered as a entertainment business and not a sports league and therefore can fix <laughs> games because there is there is no way in hell that the Jacksonville Jaguars should have won that game yesterday. I, I refuse to believe it. I refuse to believe that they are in control of their own destiny. I mean, if you're looking for a division that has um, NFC South vibes, it's the AFC South. Um, Because can one of the teams that were supposed to take this year seriously stand up? Um, You know, the tight, you know, the Titans, they've got good, they've got good players and and just don't seem to realize it. Um, you know, they, they constantly come up short, but then sort of pipe up in in clutch moments. Um, haven't seen too much of that this year. The Colts disintegrated into nothing, you know, Saturday's game definitely withstanding. Um, then you've let, let, let's take a look then at the last three games that each team's got. So the Titans have got the Texans, the Cowboys, and the Jags. So let's say that they get two. Let, let, let's say they. We'll, we'll discount the last one first. So let's say the Titans get beat the Texans, right? That's more likely than not. The percentages are in your favor. We haven't discussed the Chiefs game yet, but just just go with me on it. Um, the Jags face. This is the me Jets. quickly going through Google, folks. The Jets. The oh. Jets away. Uh, now, Jets-Jags is one of those games where you'd probably think that the Jags should take it, but then the Jets have been an awkward team as well this year. So that one's quite 50-50 of its own. That's going to be quite interesting, especially on a short week for both teams, um, you know, as to who's got the upper hand on that one. Then the Jags face the Texans. Let's say that they pick that one off. So it could, well, I actually do think it's going to end up being Jags versus Titans. I've got to assume that the Titans have just an... 
put, put it this way: at the start of this season, if you'd have told me that the Titans would um, would um, share the spoils with the Jags on their head-to-head, I'd have begrudgingly said okay because divisional games usually do that. Um, so, considering that the Jags beat the Titans, I will take it the other way around and think that the Jags sneak by. I mean, the Titans sneak by, but the Jags have definitely they've had some help and they've got definitely gotten better and they've surprised a lot of people, myself included. They are in with a chance, but they should not have been given a chance at all yesterday. I think when when they signed uh, Zay Jones in the off-season for a nominal contract and, and you look at that and think, okay, that's a, a standard sort of wide receiver three, wide receiver four. And in this game, he puts up six receptions, 109 yards, three touchdowns with a long of 53, 59, sorry. You think, wow, like... I didn't realise he was going to be that uh, impactful. Um, I love the Jacksonville arc. I love the story behind it. I love the Trevor Lawrence sort of comeback, you know, from the absolute carnage that was last season to this season. I look, I'm a, you know, I will, I will always love Doug Pedersen. I think he's, he's a great hire for them. Um, the only thing I think that could hold them back is that unfortunately Cam Robinson uh, tore his meniscus yesterday, so he is now out for the season. Um, so that's going to be a big loss for them on the offensive line. Can they keep? Can they deal with that injury? Um, I love, I love it. I love the, the the idea that the Jacksonville Jaguars could um, sort of uh, take this division. Their, their run-in is not as difficult as you'd think. The Jets are in an absolute shambles at the moment with Zach Wilson. Without Zach Wilson, can they make their minds up? I don't know. Um, the Texans obviously shouldn't be winning any more games and that, that should, the Jacksonville should win that. And it all comes down to a home game against the Titans, like you said. The Titans are in free fall. They've lost their last four games. Um um, they're scoring 18.5 points per game, which is 26 in the NFL. Um, they're just, they're just, the offense is just not good enough right now. Um, it's I think free it's, for the word. It's free for the word. Lost, I, I mean, you look at those straight. games. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, four straight, but free for makes it sound like they've been absolutely battered in all the games. It's not the case. You know, you, you look at the, you know, the Bengals losing by, by four points to the Bengals isn't exactly anything to have flipping get out your pram about the eagles are the the flipping team du jour for the entire season so let's just give that a giant mulligan especially seeing as it was at the eagles the jags is the the jags is the one of which definitely um you know you know that that one is the highlighted one of which you think oh uh, misses but you know against the chargers last night was anyone's game i'd have said that the titans actually probably were in control of that and ended up just loosening the uh, the bolts at the end um free falls probably a little harsh i mean you could say that but i think at the end of the day if, if they win if they lose the game at the end of the season the jags make it in and they don't and um the end of the day, that's what it's all designed on, isn't it? it, it these NFL games are coming up to the finest of margins. And if, if they end up losing out to the Jags, to the playoffs, that's got to be a, a, a killer blow to a Titans team that should be walking this division this season. This Titans team should be nowhere near 7-7. Seven and seven. They, sh- you know, mm. they, they shouldn't be anywhere near that right now. They should be far higher than that. And you know, and, and that's where they find themselves. So, yeah, I'll use the word free fall at the moment because it, unless they can turn it around quickly, they're going to lose out on the playoffs to the Jacksonville Jaguars, which, no disrespect to the Jags, but they shouldn't be anywhere near the playoffs this season. They're still two or three seasons away. But, yeah, fair play to them. They're, they're really making this season exciting in the AFC South. 
Yeah, they are indeed. I can't see any scenario that it doesn't end up being a, a divisional decider um, come that uh, final week matchup. I think the you know, worst case or best case scenario, you way unlucky. I think they're both going to go at one and one over the next couple of weeks. So, you know, I can't see it being anything other than that decider. But um, like I say, we'll wait and see how it goes down. The Texans will obviously have a, um, a say in it because they play both of those teams. We just mentioned them. Um, and, and Josh mentioned it earlier. So the Kansas City Chiefs find a way to win ugly. We mentioned about the Eagles winning ugly. This was the Chiefs winning ugly. 30 points to 24. They take this one in overtime. Um, again, a bit of a backbreaker for the uh, Texans after forcing a punt in overtime. Davis Mills is then um, stripped of the ball. Fumble on the Texans' first offensive drive of overtime. Uh, and the Chiefs, one play later, dance into the end zone with Jerick McKinnon, who's become a bit of a feature in that offence. Um, eight passes he got out of the backfield from eight targets, as well as uh, 10 additional rushes of the ball. Travis Kelsey with a normal Travis Kelsey kind of day, 10 receptions for 105 yards. Patrick Mahomes, 36 of 41, 20 straight completions to end the game. Um, I believe the NFL record is 25 straight completions, so he will carry that over into next week. You can just imagine how chuffed everybody at the NFL Network will be if he goes on to break that record and they can be hyperbolic for another reason when it comes to Patrick Mahomes and all of his accomplishments. Um, the Chiefs, more importantly, bigger picture, clinched the AFC West, um, a division that at the start of the year we thought was going to be extremely competitive, has been extremely predictable, as it always tends to be. And the Chiefs run out quite comfortable winners with three games to spare. Um, you know, So business as usual when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs. Either of you want to add anything on the Chiefs? I, I saw a wonderful line on the Chiefs this season of, uh, I can't remember who it was, who said that I love how the rest of the AFC West spent billions of dollars this off-season just to mean that the Chiefs secure the division uh, just before Christmas instead of just before Thanksgiving. Because <laughs> 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 it is it's mental. Like, if you think about all of the, all of the capital they've traded away, all of the money they've spent with all of these free agents and draft picks and everything that they, the, the other three teams have brought in to try and challenge the Chiefs, and the Chiefs did they traded away their best non-quarterback player and they've just walked the division again like oh what a coach Andy Reid is what a coach yeah no absolutely like you say uh, business as usual for the Chiefs and yeah it will be a surprise if they're not involved in that championship game yet again once it all boils down to it um, we've mentioned it a few times in passing so just to confirm the result the, char uh, the Chargers 17 the Titans 14, big, big game. This one was in terms of AFC wildcard implications. Um, the Chargers controlling one of those um, positions as things stand. It felt like it was going to be one of those usual kind of days for the Chargers, to be honest, when you look at the fact that they punted the ball away seven different occasions, two interceptions. Just felt like one of those games that ultimately was going to come back and bite them in the backside, particularly when... Tennessee did tie the game up um, with just 48 seconds left. Uh, Ryan Tannehill up the middle for a one-yard touchdown. Um, but to be fair, when they actually take the handbrake off and let Justin Herbert actually throw the ball downfield, and to Mike Evans in particular, he found Mike Evans on plays of 35 yards and 16 yards in a very quick drive that took only 40-odd seconds off the clock. <laughs> and a Chargers kicker, fellas, under pressure, actually nailed one. Cameron Dicker 
43 yards to win the game. He's actually been a bit of a bright spark for the Chargers in the season that, um, like I say, he's threatening to do its usual charges and, and flatter to deceive. Cameron Dicker seems to be a bit of a find at the kicker position because we do joke about it, but they have gone through them. That's an absolute race of knots in that place. He's been around the league a bit this season as well. The D- Dicker played a game for the Eagles earlier in the season. Um, he's he's, he's bounced for a couple of teams and couldn't see him finding their home. But I will just give a quick shout to... Um, to Herbert's throw to Mike Williams in the fourth quarter. Oh my God. Like, um, collapse the pocket collapses. He's out to his right and he's running and running and running. He looks like he's just going to throw it away. He manages to, to find Mike Williams in the tightest of windows down the right hand sideline. Unbelievable throw, unbelievable catch. Just shows you, like you said, what, what Herbert's capable of. He's such a talent. And I hope, I hope we see him unleashed a bit more in the future because he's so good when he is. Yeah, certainly feels like it, it, it's a strange one because Brandon Stade is very aggressive as a coach, but it just, I don't know, it just, it certainly feels as though. The, the, do you reckon it's the still the injury? Do, do you reckon that they're I, still hand holding him? I, I don't know, mate. I really don't know because, like I say, when they allow him to do it, it just seems as though he's still got it in him. So it, it does yeah. seem strange. Look, let's put it this way if the Chargers want to cause some damage come playoff time, they're going to need the, the handbrake well and truly off, aren't they? So. Um, let's hope from a neutral perspective that that absolutely happens because he's a really exciting talent and this is a good Chargers roster. Um, so let's hope he can. Just had a quick check while we were talking there, fellas, in terms of Cameron Dicker. Um, he's gone 16 of sorry, 16 of 17 on field goals and he's a perfect 16 of 16 on extra points. So, yeah, 32 out of 33. Take that. <laughs> absolutely, you would take that any day of the week. So, yeah. Good stuff from him. Right, where haven't we gone yet? Let me have a quick look at these scoreboards. Aha, yeah. Three games left to do. Three games left to do. Let's start with Sunday Night Football, fellas, because it was the Giants and the Commanders, a rematch from a couple of weeks ago that ended in a tie. Um, Obviously massively important in terms of that wildcard spot in the NFC. We felt as though that one of these two teams may well get one of them. Um, And this was obviously an opportunity to to cause some damage to each other, as well as obviously doing themselves a huge leg up. Um, Obviously, in terms of the game, uh, 20 points to 12, so much talk now this morning is just around that final play in the end zone. I've talked about the fact that officiating has come into question. um, And there's a couple of things from this one. So firstly, you've got the fact that um, the the touchdown that's taken off the board in terms of Terry McLaurin lined up incorrectly, despite him actually sort of confirming with the official that he was lined up correctly before the ball was snapped. The official gave him the thumbs up and then the flag got thrown anyway. So that took the touchdown off the board. Obviously, then that ultimately led to the fact that um, Tyler Heineke then had to make a play on... He took it from, like I say, it was third and one, took that touchdown off the board, obviously made it third and six. There was then an incompletion. And then obviously the the other controversial one was Tyler Heineke scrambles around, looks for Curtis Samuel. Now, I've seen pass interference called for absolutely nothing this year. I mean, Steve, I I don't want to rag on officials because it's obviously a very difficult job. But, I mean, this defender was pulling at the jersey... He'd essentially got Curtis Samuel in a bear lock at one stage. He was there before the ball arrived. I mean, if that wasn't the absolute definition of pass interference, 
I don't know what is. Obviously, it would have made the score 20 points to 18. So let's not yeah. forget that they still would have had to have taken the two-point conversion. So there's no guarantee that obviously that would have gone in and all the rest of it. But obviously, like I say, these are huge games decided by the smallest of margins. You opened the pod today saying how close this week had been. It's a real shame when these kind of calls, which are so obvious and so easily corrected when we've got all these replays, etc., etc., that something as crucial as this was missed, mate, in such a big moment. It's I, I can't believe how that I watched it earlier today and I cannot believe how that wasn't called. Like I, I'm I'm all for like letting them play. I'm all for a lot of, a bit of hand fighting, like letting letting the receivers and the cornerbacks play. I think they have done it a lot more this season, and I think it's led to some good battles, some really, really good battles. And I think it's better when they flag less rather than more. But that in, in the end zone there. So Curtis Samuel goes out on his route and then he comes back again. He literally does a 180 and comes back towards the ball. And the the um the, the Giants defender, I, I don't know how to try and keep up with him. He sort of wraps his arms around Samuel's shoulders so that he has his arms around his shoulders, sort of in his chest, trying to defend the ball. But at one point, he almost has his arms held back so that Samuel can't even raise his arms to try and catch the ball. And if that isn't pass interference, and you're not, if you're not in, interfering with the guy's hands, which is what he uses to catch the ball, then how is he meant to try and even do that? Like, it's... It's that was a baffling call, um, and the but the I think that's that's frustrating with with pass interference. It's a judgment call, and I can completely understand where sometimes they get it wrong, sometimes they get it right, and it is it is a, a, a interpretation rule. Like the rule is down to interpretation. Some people might say it is, some people might say it isn't. You know, so I get that. There's it's controversial. The one for me is the early one, the the the, the flag on the play where. Um, was it uh, which receiver was it out on the on the uh, Terry McLaurin was out on the sideline? You watch him look at the referee, and this happens every week in the NFL. I've seen some people with some ridiculous takes saying, What do you want the referee to, to tie his shoelaces for him and eat his dinner for him? It's like, no, that's not the point. The point is, is that they do this every week. What the, the line is open to interpretation as to where the line is, the ref is stood on it. So if the wide receiver is out on the you know, past the past the notches and is out towards the sideline. They have a quick glance at the referee, thumbs up, am I okay here? The referee clearly puts his thumb up and says, yes, you're okay. Um, McLaurin acknowledges that and then turns back to the quarterback to, ready, to get ready for the play. And then he gets flagged for it. How How is that allowed when the referee is clearly giving him a signal that he's okay to, yeah. to run the play? I remember this being a point of contention in one of the Eagles plays in the Super Bowl when Alshon Jeffrey did the same thing. And a lot of people, and this was for the... Um, uh, for the for the Philly Philly get the, the special the fourth down Philly Philly special play they did and a lot of people were saying that Alshon Jeffrey was lined up incorrectly but he did the same thing turned to the referee gave him the thumbs up he got the signal back from the referee all good fine how can they call that when the referee is clearly giving them a signal that's just miscommunication for referees I don't know how that side judge didn't say to them no I said that was okay I said that was fine and yeah, that's that's a, that's a sickener. That's an absolute sickener. If you get that flagged against you and that's your team, that's a sickener because that is like that's the type of thing that fuels conspiracy theories. Because then it's like, well, the judge literally told us that it was okay. How can it not be okay? That's yeah, absolute sickener for the commanders. Yeah, really was a bonkers call. Like I said, it's a shame that a game, you know, he's, he's sort of like I say, remembered for for those reasons. Look, it wasn't it wasn't a great game. I don't think either of these two sides are going to really be scaring anybody in terms of the postseason. We've talked a lot this year about the Giants and their limitations. The commanders put a nice run together, powered again, you know, by the defence more than anything else. But again, you know, only 12 points on offence 
you know, even if that touchdown does go in, like I said, they're still going to be requiring that two-pointer. Um, so, yeah, the um, the potential, though, of a third team from the NFC is very much still does exist. But the hottest team outside of the San Francisco 49ers probably also resides in the NFC, and that is the Detroit Lions. I love watching the Detroit Lions. I have got to say they have got to be one of the most entertaining teams to watch this season. Um, and this was a really, really important game for both sides. We've mentioned about the Jets. They've been in a little bit of disarray. Um, you know, let's not forget that the Jets were actually sitting really quite comfortable at six and three at their bye week and have managed to lose four of the last five. Um, you know, they look a real, real mess. Um, this was a game that they were leading. It was a game that they had the Lions at fourth and one, 51 yards away from the end zone. And if they could have made the stop, that would have been game over. They could have been kneeling on the ball. Most teams try a quarterback sneak or hand it off to Jamal Williams and just play forward for a yard. You just knew the Lions were going to have something up the sleeve. Brilliant little bit of play action. Brock Wright, there's a name that nobody started in their fancy football playoffs this week, but Brock Wright takes a 51-yarder when he was basically the only player on the left-hand side of the field. This is how good the fake was. He essentially didn't see a defender for about 40 yards, and when he did see defenders, he duped them, he joived them, and ultimately he rumbled his way into the end zone. I know you both want to have your say on the Lions, but Josh, I'll bring you in first because me and Steve just talked a lot there about the, the two teams in the NFC East. But this Detroit Lions team, they have gone from, like I say, being entertaining at the first part of the season, but to ultimately ending up on the wrong side of, of the results. Since the 6th of November, the Detroit Lions are 6-1. and one. The only game they have lost in that spell is to the Buffalo Bills on Thanksgiving, and that required a Tyler Bass as time expired, field goal to get that job done. This Detroit Lions team, they are a scary proposition for anybody in the NFC playoffs at the moment. They are, and it's interesting that you bring up the time frame as well, because before then, I think every single week, you would just take the over on the points with the Detroit Lions because you knew they were going to score a lot of points, but you also knew they were going to concede a lot. Now their defense is a lot more conservative and they are able to, um, you know, they're able to stop teams a lot more, you know, going through that list. There aren't a lot of massive, you know, massive results in terms of just points for other teams. You know, 17, 23, 14, 28, that was the Bills, 18. And then you go back to the Bears, of which 30, Packers, 9. So, you know, you know, from, from that point, those are fantastic defensive performances, some against really good teams as well, and teams that were on good runs. The Lions have now been able to make that second half of the season adjustment on defense of which teams talk about being very important, especially if you are going to make a run towards the playoffs, you know, your defense improves needs to improve throughout the season. If you're going to have a, a stranglehold on anything to do with um, a postseason run. And you look at the lions run to the end of the year, Panthers away, bears at home, Packers away. They could, they, they could end up ten and seven. They could very easily go ten and seven, of which in the NFC should be more than enough. You know that's 
No, that's a scary proposition when you think about the start of the season, but you definitely would not discount them, and they'd be fully worth their their, their money. In there. They would not be in there by luck. They are a gritty football team built on a good culture, and I can't really point at the roster and say that they're overflowing with talent or anything. They're just getting the most out of those players at every position. It's a joy to watch, like you say. They really are a joy to watch. And I think, you know, I've heard conversations this week. I think we all expected Jared Goff would be a placeholder. I've heard conversations that, you know, apparently they are very much committed to him. He may well be part of the long-term plans. You know, similar conversation to what we had earlier, Steve, about the 49ers. Is he just the kind of quarterback that actually suits this offence? He's, you know, always been relatively reliable, you know, with the ball. You know, some people would say he's a little bit limited. But like I say, he, he might be just the kind of person that they need to run this type of offence. They've obviously got Jameson Williams now as part of this. You know, what an exciting addition to bring him into this now. You know, Amon Ross and Brown has just been absolutely phenomenal all season um, in his sophomore year, but now another talented rookie wide receiver that comes in. I mean, everything is just trending in the right direction. You may as well chalk the W up for Sunday because if the Steelers can score 24 points against a team, Carolina could be on the hiding of 40-plus when it comes to the Detroit Lions. I'll be gobsmacked if the Lions don't take care of business Sunday. You'd fancy them at home against the Bears. They haven't put them to nine wins. Nine might be enough wins, but like you say, imagine the confidence they would have then going into that Packers game. You know, They would be on a, a win streak of eight out of nine games. Like I say, nobody's going to want to face them, Steve, come playoff time. It's astonishing. And they've already beaten the Packers in this run. That was the first game they won in in this run of six out of seven. The only team they've lost to is the Bills, which I think is fair enough. They've beaten the Vikings, the Jags, the Jets. Um, you know, they are a, a, an absolute force right now. I think you're absolutely right. No one has got an answer for Amon Ross and Brown right now. No one can shut him down. He's he's becoming very quickly one of the best young receivers in the league. Um and Jameson Williams was a shock pick when they traded all the way up to get him. I was surprised they took him. And obviously he's still recovering from his from his injury. He didn't play too much. I think he only had one target in this game. Um, but, you know, he, they can introduce him into the offense. And this offense is just so exciting and so multidimensional. Um, but as long as they can put up enough points, I think you're right, Josh, they can, you know, as long as they can put up the points, the defense is still going to allow points. But if they can put up enough, they can. I think they can beat just about anybody. What makes it really intriguing is you look at the NFC playoff picture right now. Currently, the number seven spot is Washington, who is seven, six, and one. The Lions are seven and seven. So if the Lions win next week and Washington lose, they're in. Because the Seattle are on seven seven as well, but Seattle have lost a couple, and Seattle's next game is the 49ers, which you'd imagine they're probably they're probably gonna you know um, sorry no sorry they've just played the 49ers, beg your pardon sorry they've just played the 49ers, and um, Seattle have lost a couple straight. Geno's not playing as well as he was at the start of the season. I'm I'm really believing the Lions can get in and get the number seven. I don't know if they'll get any higher than that, but I think they can get the number seven seed. And then who would they play if they get the number seven seed? They play the number two, which at the moment is the Vikings. Could the Lions roll into um, uh, into Minnesota, into their home field, and beat Kirk Cousins under the lights? Wouldn't that be the most humility, humiliating moment in Kirk Cousins' long, illustrious career of, of oh wait, checks notes, humiliating moments? Um, yeah, this this Lions team is 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 really really exciting. Um, I think Dan Campbell. I'm I'm so glad they stuck with him because there was a point in the scene where they could have got rid of him. I'm so glad they've stuck with him. He's proven that this team is is really gritty. If I'm a team in the NFC right now, I don't want to be playing the Lions. I think they're they're 
an excellent, excellent football team right now in terms of the, the run they've put together. I think they lack the talent that some of the other teams in the NFC have got. And I think they will fall short when they come up against maybe a San Francisco, a Dallas or a Philadelphia. I think they will come up short. Um, but they're an exciting team to watch. And I think for once, Lions fans have actually got something to look forward to for once. Most definitely, mate. Most definitely indeed. And like you say, I think the, the future is bright as well. That's the important thing, isn't it? Like I say, it doesn't feel like a flash in the pan. It does feel like a, a real cultural change. The Jets dropped to 7-7. Seven and seven. As I say, um, it's really difficult to see a path back to, to the playoffs, to be honest, for the Jets, um, which is a shame, really, because like I say, they were certainly a bit of a Cinderella story themselves, weren't they? But like I say, they've hit a really bad run. Um, I think they've certainly got some questions with, with regards to Zach Wilson moving forward. Like I said, they've just unfortunately lost four of the last five. Um, they've got the red-hot Jags, as we talked about earlier, and then they've got tough away games to finish off against Seattle and Miami. Um, so, like I say, it does look a long way back for the Jets now. But certainly 7-7, seven and seven, an improvement on previous years. We've only got one game left, fellas, and to be honest, we could spend all day talking about the game itself, but let's be honest, we want to talk about the last play of the game. That, that deserves to be the last play of the podcast, doesn't it? Because it is the most unpatriot-like thing you will ever see in your life. It is phenomenally brilliant. It's a 24-piece ball game. The New England Patriots have the ball, what, somewhere around their own 40-yard line, was it something around that corner? So yeah. About the 40-yard line. Um, and Mac Jones, hand, so the New England 45. So Mac Jones apparently can't throw it 55 yards because that's the only way they're going to win the game because time's going to expire. Um, there's three seconds left on the clock, so they've got no time to run a play and spike it. They can't obviously run a play and get out of bounds. So it's either a shot for the end zone or take a knee. That's really the two options, isn't it? For whatever reason, they hand the ball off to Ramondre Stevenson. Fair enough. He rumbles for a decent amount of yards. Fair enough. But as expected, considering every single Raiders defender was effectively on their own goal line, he was untouched for the first 20. As soon as people started to corral him, though, I don't know whether Ramondre Stevenson forgot the fact that the game was tied and whether the Patriots didn't actually need points, but he starts the old Stanford band play of throwing the ball around the yard. It seemed bonkers at the time, but maybe it was a case of whether they're just going to catch them off guard here. That rolls it to Jacoby Myers. What on earth was Jacoby Myers looking at? He just latches the ball. The best throw ever. Like, how? How do you throw it? It's, it's a contested match for your quarterback. <laughs> it's a straight two Chandler, but it wasn't even a contested catch. Chandler Jones is just in five yards of space. Can't believe his luck. He turns around and who's he got to be? <laughs> Mac Jones. To be fair to Paul Mac Jones, he's took a fair amount of flack for this. But if Chandler Jones was running at me and I was the last line of defence, I don't think I'd be putting up much of a fight. He gets to be to be fair to Matt Jones, I actually think he did the right thing because if you watch, he knows he's not going to get the catch, so instead he sets his legs to go for the tackle. 
It's just the fact that Chandler Jones looks at him like he's a four-year-old <laughs> child and just goes, sit down, and then just waltzes off. It's so unfortunate for Matt Jones. I actually think he does the right things. I think if he goes for the catch, Chandler Jones makes it look even worse for him. But, uh, yeah, what it's... was – I mean, Jacoby Myers is the villain here. How do you throw into Matt Jones there? What I think what's what's great about it is obviously Mac Jones. You, you, I, I, I don't put any blame on him. It's like he momentarily momentarily forgets who Chandler Jones is and sets himself, and then he remembers that Chandler Jones is a human bulldozer and actually realizes that <laughs> no, I can't tackle that man. But it's the Jacoby Myers throw. It's like a perfect spiral. It's like it's not it's, like a, a normal brilliant. like 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 lateral pass that you get where the ball is going everywhere. It's like a perfect jumping spiral throw. And, and it's, it's, like, just, it's oh. like a 30-yard pass. It's a 30-yard cross-field pass. Perfect just... to Chandler Jones. Oh. It gets nowhere near Matt Jones. It's perfect to Chandler Jones. Like, yeah, it, it, like it, it was outrageous. Sean, like you said, Sean, you just, of all the teams in the NFL to expect this from, you do not expect it from a Bill Belichick coach team. There's one thing that Bill Belichick is good at. It's coaching. And they, they're all drilled so well. Do your job. That's that's Belichick's mantra, isn't it? Do your job. <laughs> Jacoby Myers did not do his job. Oh, my God. What a play. Uh, was, I'm just it, glad it, it wasn't the Browns for once. This is the sort of thing I would have expected the Browns to do. Oh, most definitely, mate. It was just it was just bonkers, wasn't it? Absolutely bonkers. I mean, it was just... Like I say, as soon as Ramondre Stevens set off for the run, you just thought, okay, they're playing for overtime. And then when he lateraled it, you're like, well, what the hell's going on here? And then I mean, the ironic thing is, even if the ball does go to Mac Jones, he's essentially just thrown it back the amount of yards that Ramondre Stevenson has run up the field. And then what, yeah, what do they expect Mac Jones to do with the ball if he catches yeah. it? Like, what? The flea oh. flicker Hail Mary, folks. The flea oh. flicker Hail Mary. Just absolute, absolutely crazy. I mean, look, I know we've, we've sort of obviously focused on that play, and rightfully so. Obviously, a little bit of controversy again in terms of the officiating. The the Raiders, yeah, you know, game tying touchdown went to replay. I've seen a few people say, well, that one shouldn't have stood up, and this, that, and the other. I've got to be honest. I, he I was in. Perfect. I thought it was a perfectly good call. Um, you know, so that obviously tied the game up at twenty four, and then yeah, like I say, just the most. Bonkers sequence to to end things, <laughs> and like I said, in terms of big picture, and I know we laugh about these things, but in terms of big picture, like I said, the the, the Patriots win that game, and they're correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure they're one of the um, one of the teams in the playoff bracket. Probably, well, yeah. let's put it this way: even if they aren't, come the end of the season, if they miss out of it on one game, can you imagine the fallout in Foxborough from that? Because, like you say, someone is going to pay for it. Um, there was a special teams gaffe as well with a block punt that nobody sort of even bothered to try and block the edge rush. It was just a very unpatriot-like day. Um, they've got a ton of questions as well. I'll be gobsmacked if Matt Patricia makes another season as the offensive coordinator because that relationship in terms of Matt Jones and him just seems to be awful. I mean, bigger picture again, Matt Jones just 112 yards, 13 of 31. It's all about Ramondre Stevenson. If anybody can shut that run game down, the Patriots are not beating you through the air. You've only got to look at the box score and you look at the receiving threats. Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, Tyquan Thornton. You know, this isn't a stellar cast at all that, that the Patriots have got there. So, bigger picture, to be honest, there's a few of these teams that are on this playoff bubble um, that probably feel more like pretenders than they do real contenders. Um, but there are a couple of teams certainly charging up. 
I'll just, it's a conversation for another day, but I think the Patriots, one final line of them, I think they are finally paying the price for their poor drafting over the last few years. You know, you, you look at and Keel Harry, they picked in the first round a couple of years ago, who's now not even on the squad anymore. I think he plays for the Bears now. You know, it, I just think that they're finally paying the price for some of their poor draft picks over the years. Um, and yeah, it's, this is a Patriots team that is that is long since removed from the Patriots of sort of four or five years ago and beyond. Yeah, just in terms of playoff picture, um, four teams, that is all, four teams officially eliminated. The Texans, the Bears, the Cardinals and the Broncos. Um, what a bummer for the Broncos. They win a game and get eliminated from playoff. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been a, been a long time coming. So those four officially eliminated. There are a few teams that are hanging on, let's be honest, through nothing else than the fact that their divisions stink. That being the Colts at 4-9-1, and one, still technically aren't eliminated from playoff contention which is just crazy to even think that. But the Colts officially are still alive and kicking. The Falcons, the Saints and the Panthers are all alive and kicking at five and nine because of the fact that that division's still alive. There are one, two, three, four teams at six and eight in the AFC, as well as um, two teams at seven and seven. So, yeah, there's still plenty to play for um, and it will all change again over next week. Obviously, next week, the games, the vast majority of them, are on Saturday um, with Christmas Day having the audacity to fall on an NFL Sunday. Um, so the vast majority of games move to Saturday. Um, NFL Red Zone moves to Saturday as well for anybody that's been asking that question. Um, that will be broadcast on Saturday with Scott Hansen. We start the week with Jets and Jags, which is a huge game on Thursday night football for both, particularly for the Jags in terms of the context of that AFC South, as we've mentioned, fellas. Um, the Christmas Eve slate is probably highlighted by the late window in terms of the Cowboys-Eagles, but it probably isn't as important as it probably thought it might be based on this week's results, but still obviously always a big game. And then in terms of Christmas Day itself, we have three games this year on Christmas Day. Um, technically speaking, you well, depends which way you look at it. We've got three, whichever way you look at it, I guess, because Steelers Raiders officially is Christmas Eve in the States, but it's obviously Christmas Day in the UK, uh, early hours. But then we get Dolphins Packers at six o'clock Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Day, Rams Broncos at 9.30, and then there's a Buccaneers Cardinals in the early hours of Boxing Day. Um, so plenty of football over the festive uh, holiday. One to stay up for, isn't it? Bucks Cardinals. Oof. Oh, <laughs> Let's be honest, mate. Rams Broncos after a Christmas pudding is not exactly going to be. Uh, <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh, but the Dolphins Packers might be all right. But uh, yeah, great to have some uh, some football on, though. All jokes aside, obviously with the way that the schedules worked out, God knows if I'm being honest, when you'll hear from us three again uh, next Monday. Obviously, being Boxing Day, it's very unlikely that it will be next Monday. We may well do something. Tuesday or whatever, though, of next week. It's always a little bit funny this time of year, isn't it? But like I said at the outset, apologies for the hiatus last week. We hope you have a fantastic Christmas. If you are celebrating, enjoy. Have some lovely time with the family. Thanks for all the support this year on the podcast. means the world. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, tell your friends all about us um, because it would be great to get more and more people involved. So please make sure that you do that. That's all we want for Christmas this year. So just tell your friends all about us if you don't mind. Until some point next week, enjoy your Christmas, enjoy the NFL football, and we will see you next time on the Full 10 Yards NFL podcast. <laughs>